Welcome to Fresh Start Church Online. Our mission is to help people find a fresh start through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if we can pray for you or help you in any way. Now here's Pastor Bruce with this week's message. We are in uh, week two of our new series, Better Together. Last week, we looked at God's command to love one another. And while that's a familiar uh, phrase, and we know there's various scriptures that tell us to love one another, it, it, it seems simple and it seems clear, and yet it's really, really hard to do. But we saw that it was a command, that Jesus himself said we must do this. And if we don't love one another within the family of God, within the church family, then it tells God we don't really love him or have his love in us. And we saw that as a church family, loving one another is action. It's not just words that we say. We have to do something. It's a choice. It's a commitment. We have to show each other love. And I just want to take this deeper today. I really I think it's easy for us to say love one another, and it's really hard to flesh that out, to just kind of do it in the day-to-day activities of our life. So I want us to look just at two verses today, uh, two short verses, but uh, there's a lot uh, for us to learn, there's a lot for us to do. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, or chapter 13, excuse me, verse 7. This is the love chapter of the Bible. And the Apostle Paul's writing to the Christians in Corinth. He's giving them the, the, the definition of love. And I, uh, two weeks from today, I have the honor of officiating a, the wedding of Bob and Kathy's son and uh, his fiancée. And, you know, in every wedding that I ever uh, participate in and in every session of marriage counseling or pre-marriage counseling, uh, I always use this chapter of the Bible as, as the guidelines for what love uh, is, what true love uh, really is. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. This one little verse out of one little chapter out of one book, out of the 66 books of the Bible, uh, says so much about God's love, the love he wants us to experience for the rest of our lives here on earth. And, and because I know that God is a good God, I can trust him that he doesn't just tell me something like this to frustrate me. He doesn't just say, here, wouldn't this be great, but you can't do it. You can't have it. He doesn't do that. He says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres because he wants us to to grab hold of that description of love. It's not normal love. If it was normal love, then there would never be a divorce. There would never be enemies. There would never, if if we just automatically loved this way as human beings... uh, we, we, we wouldn't know anything about God because we need God in order to love this way. We can't do it on our own. This is a radical statement. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always 
perseveres. But it's the real definition of the real love that God wants us to have for each other. And notice the absolutes. Always, 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 always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Some translations say never. Uh, love never stops believing, never stops hoping, never gives up. Uh, I, I read about eight different translations of this verse yesterday. I put a couple others in your uh, outline. But I just, I just love the different perspectives of what this simple, simple sentence means. So I want us just to dig into those four uh, points in this verse. Uh, always protects, always loves, always, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So the first one is always protects. If we love each other within the church family, and remember Paul was writing this not to non-Christians, Paul was writing this to Christians, specifically people that lived in the city of Corinth, and he was, and they were Christians, the church in Corinth, and he was telling them how to act. And if we act this way, then our lives are better together than apart. Love always protects. I think that the most powerful sermon I've ever heard in my life, and I've heard lots of great teachers, lots of great preachers, but it's a sermon, and I think we still have an audio file of it somewhere. It was probably 20, 30 years ago, of an old pastor named E.V. Hill. And we share part of it sometimes when we do uh, marriage seminars. And, and Pastor Hill was preaching at his wife's funeral. I can't imagine. I can't imagine living without my wife. But I also can't imagine preaching her funeral service. But I also can't imagine letting somebody else do it either. So I'm going to do it because I wouldn't trust it to anybody else. Nobody else knows her and loves her as much as I do. And so Pastor Hill is preaching his wife's funeral. And he just told story after story of things that his wife did. He said one day he got up and his wife wasn't in the house. And, and she was always there when he got up. And she wasn't in the house. And, and he looked for her and a little bit later she came walking in from outside from the car in just her bathrobe, her pajamas. And he said, what in the world were you doing out there? And she said, I, I went out to start the car. He said, why? Because they'd had some threats on their life. And someone said they were going to blow up their car. And so she went out and turned the key so it wouldn't be your husband who died, if that was true. You know, I cried listening to that. And it still just strikes me as that's love that protects. That's love that protects. If you've ever, uh, we've only ever been on one cruise ever, and it was about three miles and three miles back. But uh, I know if you go on a cruise or if there's ever a problem on a cruise, what do they tell everybody to do? Man the lifeboats. Get on the lifeboats. And, and, and what do they tell you uh, about lifeboats and who should get on? Well, the heroes of the boat say, 
Women and children go first. Women and children. Why? Because that's something we men should be willing to do. We should be willing to to die for our wives, die for our kids. And that's, that's one way that our love protects them. But here's the bigger challenge. I think any good man that I know, and I, I know a lot of good men, I know a lot of not so good men, but I think any good man that I know would honestly, if you hooked him up to a polygraph, would honestly say, I would die for my wife. I think we would. I'd take a bullet for my wife. I, I think most good men would do that. You know what's even harder? To live for our wives. It's easy to say, I'll be a hero. One last shot. Put it right here. I'll, I'll, I'll take a bullet. I'll save her life. It's much harder to live for her day after day after day after day. And, and so, guys, this isn't a marriage message, but uh, let me just tell you. Uh, our wives need us to live for them, not just be willing to die for them. They need us to live for them every single day in all that we do. Love always protects when you think about each other and you think about family dynamics within a church, that can be fleshed out in so many different ways. Uh, I think of a friend of mine who's struggled with drug addiction for over 30 years. And once in a blue moon, I'll hear from him again. And when I hear from him, it's always some new story as to why he needs a little bit of money. And I won't ever give it to him. I've driven him to Orlando and put him in a rehab place. I've taken him places. I've done things with him, done things for him. But I won't ever give him money. I won't ever give any of my friends who struggle with any addictions money because I know that's not good for them. If I protect them, it sometimes means saying, no, I'm, I'm going to shield you. I'm going to shield you from the pain you might cause yourself. Sometimes protecting people with our love uh, means exactly that we're shielding them from attack from others. But sometimes it means I'm protecting you from yourself. And I'm going to be there and be that covering for you. In fact, the original uh, Greek word, that was used here for the word protect, you know what it means? It means to cover, to cover. The, the Greek word, which is what this was written in, this part of scripture was written in the Greek language. The Greek word is stego, and, and it means to protect by covering, to cover with silence, to hide or conceal the errors and faults of another. Isn't that interesting? When Paul wrote this, he didn't say, love always protects. He says, love always covers. Love always covers. It conceals the errors and the faults of others. Now, that, that, that might sound like a bad thing. But how many of you know that you need somebody who will do that for you? You need somebody who will love you despite your faults, despite your errors. You know... For the first 29 or 30 years of my life, I laughed at people who were overweight. I laughed at people who were trying to diet. You know, I'm trying to diet. I thought, just eat less. Shut up. What are you talking about? There's nothing to it. Just eat less. Anybody could do that. I just, I just laughed at people who, who were overweight and said, oh, I just can't lose weight. I thought, just quit eating so much. Well, you know what? I didn't change anything I ate. I was thin. I was trim, I was active, 
I didn't change a thing that I ate. But what I ate started changing me. And all of a sudden, I was the guy over there. I was the guy. And I thought, oh, man, this isn't easy after all, is it? Oh, okay, I can try. It just doesn't seem to be working. I can try. I can try. I can try. And, and you know, what I, what I never wanted to deal with, and, in fact, I've only heard probably two sermons or two uh, preachers reference this, was that, Gluttony is a sin, and it's not only a sin, it's the favorite sin of the church in America, and it's not only the sin, it's the favorite sin of pastors in America. We can preach against any other kind of sin and be gluttons. And, and that, that was me, and I am wrestling hard to change my mind and for God to change my heart. And, but, but here's what happened. When Valerie married me, I was 18 years old and I weighed 155 pounds. And I wasn't even finished growing yet. I mean, I needed to add some weight, and she put it on me pretty quick, cooking three meals a day. I wasn't eating, and she gave me three meals a day. But, but here's what happened. Valerie loved me at 155 pounds. She loved me when I was 30 and laughing at other people that had weight problems. And she loved me as I kept gaining and gaining and gaining weight. Now, would she rather me not have done that? Well, of course. But she kept loving me. Why? Because love covers. It covers. We are all sinners. We've all got, not just did have sin, we all have sin. We all have sin in our lives. There's things that we do that aren't right. And we're not trying to suggest in any way that we shouldn't want to change or help someone change. But we, we cover those things. We love someone anyway. Just like Jesus loved us. Despite our sin, we love each other despite our sin. This idea of covering, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to picture because it sounds like it's not right. Oh, he's trying to cover something up. We're, we're protecting. What do you do with little kids when there's something on TV or there's some news that, that, that would be very uh, harmful for them? It might traumatize them or scare them. What do we do? We protect them. We shield them. From certain things. That's what this is talking about. Shielding each other. Shielding each other. Valerie and I were talking about this this week. And she just immediately thought of a great example of Noah. You know, Noah picked by God. God says you're the only righteous man on earth. I'm tired of everything. I'm tired of everybody. You're the only righteous man on earth. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to rescue your family. I'm going to rescue animals. And we're going to start this whole thing all over. You would think that once the rain started coming and once the floods came, once the boat's floating around and there's nothing else on earth but this boat floating around, you would think that when Noah got off that boat, he would be the most grateful man for the rest of his life. I mean, think about it. God rescued him and his family. You would think Noah's life would just be filled with gratefulness and appreciation. You would think Noah would just be righteous forevermore. But after Noah gets off the boat, Noah starts planting vineyards, and Noah harvests the grapes from the vineyards, and Noah starts making wine, which is okay, but then Noah gets drunk from the wine. And here's what happens. Noah's drunk, stumbles inside, falls on the ground, no clothes on. 
And one of his sons walks in and sees him. And he sees his dad laying there and he realizes dad's drunk, dad's passed out, dad doesn't even have any clothes on. And he goes out and tells the other brothers. The other brothers get something to cover their dad with. And they hold it across from each other and they walk backwards and they lay it over him. They walk backwards so they won't even see their their, their father in his condition, and they lay it over him to cover him, to cover his sin, to cover what he had just done wrong. When Noah found out, he was really ticked at the first son. In fact, cursed him. And he was really thankful for the second sons that did that, the two sons that did that. And he blessed them and their generations to come. That, that's, that's what we're talking about when we cover each other's sins. It's, it, it's, it's, such, a, it's such a caring thing. It, it, it's, it's because we love each other. We want the best for each other. First uh, Peter 4 is a great verse about this. Uh, Peter says, above all, love each other deeply, deeply. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. When we love someone, if it's our spouse and we really, really, really love them, we cover them. We protect them. We love them so deeply that, it, it, you know, no, it's not that we don't care that, they, that they're sending it. It's not that we don't care what happens to them, but we want to cover them. We want what's best for them. Love each other. And again, Peter's writing this to Christians. Love each other deeply. Not just love each other uh, casually or socially. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. See, I'm going to sin against you. And, and you're going to sin against me. And the people beside you or behind you and, or in front of you this morning are going to sin against you. Not because we just say, hey, let's go sin. I think I'll go sin against Buster this week. No, not because, not that it's intentional, although it may be sometimes. But but we just are. We're humans, and we're going to hurt each other at some point. We're going to say something that hurts someone. We're going to do something that hurts someone. Or we're going to fail to do something that might hurt someone. And when we do that, this is the response. This is the response. When someone does that to us, we're, we're, we're to love them so deeply because they're our brother or sister in Christ. We're to love them so deeply because they're part of our church family. They're part of God's family. We're to love each other so deeply that it actually covers over a multitude of sins. Second thing from First Corinthians 13, 7 is that love always trusts. This is hard. This one's a hard one. Love always trusts. Isn't it hard to trust? Why is it hard to trust? Because so many people are untrustworthy. Why is it so hard to trust people in the church? Because most of us have been burned by someone in the church. Why is it so hard? Because of our past experiences. It can be really, really hard. But, but notice the, the, the definitions here. Uh, we believe in each other. If I trust you, I believe in you and I believe for you. I believe for you. 
I want the best for you. I believe you can do it. Whatever it is you're trying to, I believe you can do it. I believe you can conquer that. I believe you can break through these marriage problems and really make your marriage work. I believe you can get off of that addiction. I believe things for you. I believe that if you're part of my church family, God has a plan for you. And I believe that he will accomplish it if we let him and if we follow him and if we keep our eyes on him, he will accomplish it for you. It can be really hard to trust others, but sometimes we get it mixed up and that makes us not trust God. But the way I can trust you is by trusting God with you, by trusting that God is going to do something good. God is going to fix that. God is going to deliver that. God is going to heal that. God is going to repair that, whatever it is. Trusting, trusting each other means I'm trusting God to work this out. I'm trusting God to do something in your life, in my life, and in our relationship. We have faith that God can change someone. The trust means I believe God really can change. And I really want him to. And, I, and I, I'm excited for you. And I love, I love seeing people. I love seeing marriages that were on the rocks. I love seeing them restored and better than ever. I love people that are uh, struggling with addictions, seeing them set free. And I love seeing God do that. And it makes me trust him more. And, and I trust that if you follow God... That if you follow God, he'll do great things in your life. The third thing is that love always hopes. Love is always hopeful. If, you, if you've known someone who's a really loving, loving person, I mean, just bubbling with love, they're filled with hope, aren't they? And they give you hope. They're just, you know, Valerie's got a good friend. This woman just walks in the room... And you just feel better. <laughs> and it's not because her life is easy. It's not because things are going smooth. No, it's the exact opposite. She's going through a really difficult life. But she walks into the room and she's hopeful. She's hopeful for you. For whatever it is you're trying to do, she's hopeful for you. She's excited for you. She's excited for what God's going to do, for how God's going to use you. Love is always hopeful. It always looks for the best and not the worst. If I really love you, then, then I, I have hope for the very best things for you, not the worst. Hopeful love isn't stuck in the past. And that's easy, isn't it? Easy to be stuck in the past, especially as we're relating to people, because we look at someone and we think of their past. We look at someone and we think of what they've done and we think of what we know about them. And that makes it hard for us to have any hope for them today. I remember, gosh, years, years, years ago, probably 30 years ago, I uh, got my real estate license. We moved back here from Sarasota, and I'd been managing properties over there, and moved back here, and I saw an ad in the uh, Florida Today for a real estate company was looking for agents, and so they were Christians. I think it even said, we're looking for people that love God and, you know, want to work in real estate. Thought, Man, that's cool. And so I went and I met with them and I talked to them. And I thought, oh, this is great. These guys are like majorly committed Christians. And I told uh, an elderly lady, friend of mine, uh, 
you know, about this new job that I was going to be working with these Christians and told her the name. And, and, and this lady was not a gossip and she was not a troublemaker. She cared deeply about me. She called me a few days later and she said, I need to say something about this place that you're going to work. I said, I said what is it? She said, well, my friend knows that family and that, and that, that young man, not the father, but the son, and it was a father-son company. She said, the son, he, he's got a bad past. He's been in jail. He's been a drug dealer. He, I mean, he's got a bad, bad past. And, and I just don't want you going there not, and getting burned. And, and she was trying to be helpful. She really wasn't trying to malign this guy or, or you know, judge him or gossip about him. She was concerned about me. It was, I was like a grandson to her. I said, well, I'll I'll check that out. I'll, I'll be careful. I'll see. You know what? Everything she said was true. Everything she said was true. Jay was his name, Jay Threadgill. And you know how I found out? Jay told me. Jay told me, man, I used to be so messed up. Man, before I started following God, before I came to Christ, I was so messed up. I was a drug dealer. I was in jail. And he just, here, here it all is. Here it all is. It's awesome, man. Not what you've done, but awesome where you are. And for the last 25 years, Jay has run one of the largest ministries in the nation of Haiti. A church of thousands of people, uh, schools, all kinds of ministries during all the, you know, the uh, disasters that have happened in Haiti. They've been on the kind of the forefront of, of bringing in aid and helping. And, and that's what Jay's been doing for the last 25 years. For us to have hope for someone, we can't just look back. We can't look at their past. Because we'll just automatically assume the worst instead of the best. Always hopeful means I assume the best. I want the best for you, and I'm going to believe that if you will follow God, then the best things are going to happen for you. That's hope. Hope for the future. It's optimistic. It's positive. It's not naive. Uh, it, it's just trusting the power of God that if, if, if this person sitting next to me, if this person in my life group, if this person in our church, if they are really trying to follow God, then God's going to heal whatever happened and God's going to do something with them in the future. It's always hopeful. That hope never gives up. Valerie is so much like that. She is always hopeful. She keeps hoping out. I'll take out the trash. She keeps hoping I'll make the bed. And, you know, 38 years, but she hasn't, she's still hopeful. She's always hopeful. It hasn't happened yet, but she's always hoping that I'll do those things. See, we're hopeful for people. We're hopeful that, that, that the same God that saved us and the same God that changed us can change them, can save them, can redeem them. I'll never forget a, a friend of ours. If this lady was a model, she would be the sweet grandmother picture for whatever the product was. Just sweet, friendly, pleasant looking, sweet countenance about her. Just always, uh, just just super sweet, loving lady. Loves God, loves her family. And I'll never forget hearing from her about one of her kids one of her daughters, who had been an addict forever. 
I mean, just years and years and years and years of hardcore addiction stuff and in jail and out of jail and in trouble and out of trouble and just all kinds of things. And, and this sweet lady always had hope. Always had hope. Didn't matter how bad it looked. Always had hope. Didn't matter that, oh, she's done it again. Always had hope for the future. For the future. Always had hope. And finally, from jail, her daughter came to Christ. It was the only time her mom didn't bail her out. Her mom called me and said, oh, my daughter's in jail again. I said, don't bail her out. Oh, she wants me to come. Don't bail her out. She's got to hit bottom at some point, and she's got to turn to God, and nobody can bail her out of this mess of addiction and, and her lifestyle. Nobody can fix it for her. She's got to be the one. And that was the time that she got down on her knees in jail and truly gave her life to Christ and was transformed from that minute on. And the daughter told me later, I'm so glad my mom didn't come get me. If she got me, I would have gone right back to where I was and what I was doing. I'm so glad my mom didn't do that. Because that's what it took for God to finally break this hard heart of mine. And then, you know, where I really heard about the hope that the mother had always had? I heard it from the daughter. I heard it from the daughter. From the daughter who said, I would be, ha- I would be living in a crack house in... South Melbourne, and we wouldn't even have electricity on, and there'd just be mattresses and just tons of us crashing there, ODing and just doing nothing but drugs, 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 drugs. I'd be out on the street selling my body. I'd be, I mean, she just described the, the most unimaginable conditions that you wouldn't want anyone to go through, especially your child or especially your church family member. And she said, you know what would happen? I'd, I'd be in this crack house and, and, and there'd be tons of people there and, and, and my mom would come bring us sandwiches. My mom, the sweet grandmother with a pretty dress on, would come down to a section of town she had no business even being in. And my mom would come in there and my mom would give us food to eat. Mm-hmm. And that just blew my mind. That just blew my mind. That was love that was always hopeful. Always hopeful. The story's not over yet. They're not finished yet. Yes, my child or my my friend or my my church family member, they may just repeat this cycle and keep on the wrong thing, the wrong thing. But the story's not over yet. God wants us to be hopeful. Love. True love. Always hopes. Who is it that you've given up on? And understandably so. Understandably so. Who is it, though, that you've given up on? That you need to keep praying for? You need to know that God hasn't given up. Keep praying for them. Keep showing them love. I know they don't deserve it. Neither did we. I know they just rebel and they just throw it in your face. So did all of we with God. God kept reaching out to us and reaching out to us. And finally, one day he started softening our heart and pulling us to him. And he pulled us into his family and he gave us the gift of salvation. And he wants us to have that same hope, that same love for other people. Here's the last one. Love always perseveres. 
Love always perseveres. It, it keeps going to the end. Love can make it through any circumstance without weakening it. Always, always, always perseveres. You know, we, we have, in, in our little church family, we have the unique, very unique factor that lots of us have been married for a really long time. Really long time. And long marriages are pretty rare these days. And to have this many, very rare. Very rare. But you know who gets this perseveres, love perseveres stuff? It's all of us that have been married a long time. I mean, how many of you would say you've been married 20 years, 25 years, 30, 40 years? How many of you would say it's just been easy the whole time? We've never had a problem. He's never hurt me or let me down. She's never hurt me. No, no. Perseveres. We hurt each other. We lead each other astray. We've been sick. We've been poor. We've been broke. We've been stupid. We've been, you know, we, we've, we've all gone through tons and tons of stuff. Tons and tons of stuff. But true love perseveres, doesn't it? It just keeps right on going. True love perseveres. It perseveres. That's the love that God wants us to have in our church family. I, I, I read a, a true story uh, this week. I want to want to read it to you. It's a little boy named Connor and his mother, Cynthia. And just, just listen, as, as we think about, you know, as parents or as we think about relating to each other, when we think about how does love keep having hope, how does love persevere, listen to the story. When Connor was just a toddler, his muscles began growing increasingly rigid and it became harder and harder for him to move. He went from leg braces to a walker. Finally, by the time he was five years old, he was in a wheelchair. He said, I tried to walk like the other kids, but I just couldn't do it. His mother, Cynthia, as all mothers do, took him to a million different doctors, but not one of them could figure out what was wrong. She said, I was scared and I was frightened. I was trying not to let him see that I was frightened. See, love protects. But inside, the biggest thing was we didn't know what it was. Nobody knew what he had. Some of the doctors told her there may never be an answer. But she said, I couldn't settle for that. I refuse to accept that. So she spent hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, painfully scouring the Internet for answers. Then one day she came across an exceptionally rare disorder that she thought might explain Connor's condition. And she wrote a letter to Dr. Irwin Jacobs, who's a prominent pediatric neurologist. He said that her letter left him stunned. He said, I mean, here's somebody suggesting a disorder, and I've never seen this disorder. It's called uh, dopa responsive dystonia, and it disrupts how the brain communicates with muscles in the body. And, and even though Connor didn't have some of the classic symptoms of this condition, Dr. Jacobs agreed to give him the appropriate medicine to see if it would help. Within days, Connor's condition started to improve. Slowly, his muscles began moving easily. He could hold on and walk a few steps and get in and out of chairs, things he hadn't been able to do in years. 
He said, I was sitting in the chair in the kitchen one day, and I said, I feel like I can stand. I started holding onto the furniture, and I started walking. His mom said by the second day, he stood at the kitchen sink and washed his hands standing. That was monumental. Here's Connor today. Connor likes to go running. Connor plays basketball. He takes daily medication. And thanks to his mother, who kept having hope and kept persevering, regardless of how bleak it looked, regardless that there didn't seem to be any solution that nobody knew, she kept hoping and she kept persevering. And now, because of that, she was able to do for her son what dozens of doctors couldn't do. What, what the intelligence of man and the monument was unable to do. She was able to do that because she kept hoping. And, and her doctor says, I think she deserves all the credit. Had she given up at any time, had she not been so insistent about trying to find a reason why her son had this difficulty, Connor would still be in a wheelchair. That's the kind of love that God wants us to have for each other. That's the kind of love. It, 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 you can't have it if you don't know God. You can't have it without God's love inside of you. But that's the kind of love that God wants us to have as we relate together as a family. He wants us to protect each other. He wants us to learn to trust each other, to have hope for each other, and to persevere no matter how hard things are, no matter what goes on, that we'll hang in there and be there for each other. That's the kind of love that not only changes our lives, that's the kind of love that becomes like a magnet. It becomes like a magnet to our community. Because what do people want? That's what they want. What do people need? That's what they need. They need real love. They, they need people that are real, people that are authentic, people that have solutions. And our solution is God. Our solution is Jesus Christ. And as we love each other like Jesus has loved us, and as we protect each other, and as we trust each other, and if we have hope for the best things for each other, and as we persevere, not only does God change us individually, God changes us as a little church family. And God allows other people to see that because people are watching us all the time. People are watching. As soon as you say you're a Christian, everybody's watching you. It's the best thing we can do. I, I said this on one of the daily podcasts this morning. The best thing we can do to reach our community for Christ is love each other like that. Love each other like that. Because people are drawn to that kind of love because it's what every single one of us really needs and really wants. I'm going to pray for us. And, you know, it may be that as we've talked about this kind of love this morning, sometimes you read something like this and you think, it's just not possible, though. And we think of specific people that, that have broken our trust so many times. We think of specific people that we've just given up hope on. We think of specific people we've tried to protect them. But the story's not over yet. The story's not over yet. 
And right here at Fresh Start Church and Wednesday nights through our new life groups, we get to practice this stuff. It takes practice. It's not easy to love like this. It takes practice. But we get to practice with each other. We get to learn how to do it together. We get to encourage each other. We get to know each other so that we can love each other. Father God, you gave us this definition of love. And it seems so simple, but it's so radical. Father, I pray that, that just as we sit here this morning, and just in the stillness of this moment and the quietness of this place, God, that you would give us the desire to really love each other like this. Father, that you would just remove our arguments and our objections and give us the hunger to love each other like this. God, it's a lot easier to attack people than protect them. It's a lot easier to discard people than to have hope for them. It's a lot easier to be guarded than to trust someone. And it's a lot easier to give up than to keep going. So God, we need your power in us to enable us to love like this. Would you fill us with that power? Would you fill us with your love, God? And help us love each other always. Always protecting. Always trusting. Always hoping. Always persevering. In Jesus' name, amen.